Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Let's Talk with Smitty. I've got a great show today, a very, very dear friend of mine, a, a colleague at the Massachusetts House of Representatives, Representative Josh Cutler from the 6th Plymouth District. Welcome aboard, Josh. Thanks for coming. Uh, thank you for having me, Smitty. This is a, an honor. It's great to be here. And, and hello to all the listeners out there in the Berkshires. Oh, we're, we're, going there. Glo- we're going global, Josh. Oh, so global. I'm sorry. Everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> you, you know, you've been in the legislature for, what, 10 years now? Uh, yes, I have. Yes. Well, and uh, you represent Plymouth, but I- introduce yourself to our listeners. Give us a little bit about your background and uh, why you wanted to become a state representative. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me on again. Uh, hi, folks. Uh, Josh Cutler. I'm a state representative, one of uh, a good friend and, and colleague of Smitty's. Uh, and I'm uh, down on the South Shore. So um, down on the South Shore of Massachusetts, uh, represent towns of Duxbury, Pembroke, Hanson, Marshfield, and Halifax. And this is my fifth term uh, serving in the House. I am the, uh, currently the chair of the uh, Joint Committee on Labor and Workforce Development. And I have to give a big shout out to Smitty. Uh, I, had, I, I had never been to the Berkshires before meeting Smitty. And I'm, I'm, I should be ashamed to say that, I guess, on, on the air here. But uh, he introduced me, had us out to visit for Berkshire Days. Saw, you know, what a wonderful, just relaxing, you know, uh, charming area of the state it is. And um, he is probably the best advertisement for the Berkshires you could have uh, as having representatives, Smitty Pignatelli in the house. Uh, I, I know all of our colleagues uh, feel the same way. So uh, really been delighted to get to know Smitty and become a good friend and to work with him and, and, um, and to, to get to know the Berkshires because of him. So I'm delighted to be here on the, on the podcast. Happy to chat about uh, you know, workforce issues and labor issues, but also whatever else is, uh, is on the mind. Uh, Josh is too kind, but uh, full disclosure, I've never been to Duxbury, but I, I, made, I made a commitment to go down and visit Josh uh, next week as well. And uh, it's just amazing the kind of the bookends of the Commonwealth. And you and I kind of had an instant bond uh, when you came into the legislature. And uh, I've enjoyed working with you. And I really, we've had a lot of fun together. We've traveled together. Yes. We, we work on legislation together. And, you know, you mentioned that you're the chair of the, uh, the Committee on Labor and Workforce Development. For, for our listeners, what does that mean and what kind of legislation are you working on, especially during this pan, uh, the pandemic COVID situation? How has that challenge been uh, even more insightful to yeah, you? Yeah, no, well, it's, I, I'm fortunate. This is my first term serving as chair in this position, and I feel really fortunate to, to be so. And I thank you, know, you and my colleagues and the speaker for the honor of serving this role. Um, you know, labor and workforce development is a pretty broad swath of policy area, everything from you know, minimum wage and wage uh, issues to um, to issues dealing with uh, unemployment insurance, future of work, our workforce training, workforce dollars. Uh, but you know, one of the biggest challenges we're seeing as a Commonwealth is, um, is trying to find good help. And uh, you know, where whatever industry you're talking to, it seems like whatever whoever we talk to, finding good help is, is the number one issue. Uh, we've seen. Uh, I could just give you, share some data. Um, we have 300,000 non-farm job openings currently in Massachusetts, which is uh, the highest it's been in recent history, uh, and it continues to be a number of unfilled positions, and it, it's hampering you know our sort of economic progress. And so, you know, what do we do about that? Well, you know, as, as you know, and you've been working on these issues. Uh, a lot longer than I have, Smitty. You know, we try to find uh, ways to uh, upskill and reskill uh, workers to fill those kinds of positions. We try to tap into untapped labor pools, uh, people uh, you know who maybe traditionally hadn't been as part uh, of the labor market. You know, um, 
things like people with disabilities, people who might be, um, you know, uh, who formerly served in incarceration, uh, uh, people who um, uh, perhaps um, whether they're women or others who had, um, you know, been at home with uh, taking care of their kids, trying to find ways to tap into these labor pools and encourage people to, um, to enter the workforce. Uh, one of the big issues I think that we've confronted um, is, is the issue of childcare. And, uh, you know, we, we see it, how big an impact it is. Uh, and, and I think I've gotten a sort of a, a view of this, you know, uh, from the from the parental side, but also from the policy side, when you see, you know, how impactful, you know, having limited access to childcare can be. You think about, um, I'll give you, tell you a quick story, Smitty. I was at um, my local uh, Head Start uh, in, in my neck of the woods down here on the South Shore and did went in to, to visit to, to do one of those reading to the kids programs. I'm sure you do that quite a bit. Um, in fact, I, I usually read Dr. Seuss. Uh, so there's a good uh, reference, the Berkshires. Um, and uh, so I, I went out on this particular day to read to the kids and um, the, the, uh, the, the director of the, the Head Start program was there and she explained that one of the teachers was, uh, was out uh, they were so they were short staffed in general. Uh, and that particular day, another teacher had called in sick. And so they were down two teachers. And that meant that one of the classes that they normally hosted would not be able to uh, to, uh, to to take place that day. And so I thought about the ramifications of that. You have a whole class of kids who no longer have childcare for that day. And what is the impact on those parents and, and, and the ripple effect you know, throughout the economy, because that means that those parents, you know, those 10 or 12 uh, families, they don't have childcare for that day. And so that, you know, how's that going to impact their ability to get to work? And so, you know, one teacher being out had this ripple effect in this, you know, one small community that could really have an impact. And so if you kind of look at that from a macro point of view statewide and think about the importance of, of access to childcare, how important that is as an economic issue, not just as a parent, you know, or, or teaching our kids, but as an economic issue. So I think that's one of the things we're seeing and recognizing. And obviously, you know, here in the house, we've taken a number of steps, as you know, Smitty, um, to try to address that, making, um, making it more attractive to be in that field and trying to retrain and attract uh, new uh, uh, childcare workers. So a um, lot of issues that we're seeing. I mean, we're, 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 we're in a good position, uh, I guess, in a sense, if you look back to you know, maybe 10 or 12 years ago where the economy was much less robust, but it does come with its own set of challenges and we're seeing those challenges today. And I want to drill down a little bit more on that. It's just you know, everywhere I go in my district and it's, it's, it's a statewide, in fact, it's probably a countrywide issue. Help wanted signs everywhere. You know, <laughs> a few years ago, we were fighting for that $15 livable wage you know, right. now it's, you know, 20 and $25, but we're still having a hard time attracting people to get to work. I think I'm glad you talked about the daycare child care issue. That's legitimate. Uh, during COVID, you know, I think there was greater restrictions on uh, child care because of limited the number of kids that could go or because of social distancing and whatnot. So I think there's legitimate health care issues for some folks not getting back to work, very legitimate child care uh, hurdles to overcome to get people back to work. But how do we address the vacancies that we have? And out here, Josh, it's hospitality, nurses, doctors, I mean, every range of the spectrum. Uh, I always say the unemployment rate should be almost zero. Um, there's plenty of job opportunities there, but what can we do to get people back to work to get the economy going? Yeah, no, it's it's the question. I think, you know, and, and, and from, a, from part of the answer is that, you know, we're, we're looking at sort of a structural change in our workforce. If you think about it, you know, logically, you know, people who are the, are the boomer generation, as my kids like to say, um, you know, many of those folks are now at the point where they're, you know, their retirement, they're entering retirement. And, and in some cases, COVID might have expedited that. 
uh, but in many cases, they're just not coming back to work. You know, so we have this bubble of workers that, you know, from, from you know, the World War II, you know, throughout the period of history. And, you know, many of them are now approaching retirement and, and simply not going to be re-entering the workforce or re-entering the workforce in a significant way. And so that's a significant structural sort of change that we were going to have regardless of COVID. That was coming along just demographically, uh, regardless of COVID. I think COVID expedited that. So we don't have a big supply to, you know, to a big, big uh, on-deck uh, group to replace that group of workers. And so that is a sort of fundamental challenge that we have. We're going to have for a, a period of time, I think. Uh, because of that large boomer population that's retiring and leaving the workforce. And it kind of gets back to what I was just talking about, where we, you know, we, need, we need to find workers wherever we can. And we need to, you know, in many cases, train and upscale workers to meet the, you know, the demands of, of employers, whether it's, you know, hospitality or tech or bio, or whatever the, the field is. I do think there's a real good opportunity here, though, Smitty, for especially folks in the Berkshires and perhaps in, in my area of the state as well, you know, with remote work, you no longer need to live in Boston to, ha to have a Boston job. And so, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there. I think, you know, if you could tell someone, oh, you can have a great high paying job and career in the city and you can live in, in, in the Berkshires. Well, that's really appealing. Um, you know, you get the, the, the lifestyle, but plus, you know, the perks uh, that come along with that. And so I think, you know, for places like the South Shore and for the Berkshires and other areas of the state that are a little bit further away from the big city, uh, it becomes a more appealing place to live. I, I, you know, I know just from my my limited number of times going to the Berkshires, what you know, the quality of life there is just so tremendous. Um, and um, and so you, it does sort of open the door to new economic opportunities. And we have to be ready to take advantage of them, of course. Like you know, things like you know broadband access and and certain things are, are become important. And I know that's an issue that you know still um, needs some some um, some resources in, in your neck of the woods. Yeah, um, I, I think it's a challenge and an opportunity. Yeah, no, I, I, that's why I look at every challenge as an opportunity. I'm glad you mentioned the remote work and, you know, the things that we can do in state government to, I don't want to say maybe incentivize uh, employees or employers to have their employees working from home or remote. I, but I'm a great believer of if we invest in infrastructure, like, you know, with the West East Rail, which I've been championing for a while. <laughs> across oh, bingo. The it, it took out. Five minutes for you to mention that, okay? <laughs> but 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 I, I think there's an opportunity there to to live here, work there. You know, I could live in Duxbury and, and work in Boston. I could live in the Berkshires and work in Worcester. I think those are opportunities that we should try to enhance upon. But you you hit the nail on the head about lack of broadband, lack of cellular phone service, uh, those kind of things. We still have many many dead spots in the rural parts of Massachusetts, uh, and that's why I, I you know I, the Berkshire days was always about trying to expose my Eastern colleagues to what's going on in the Berkshires. And, you know, you, you've been a, you've been a good friend of the Berkshires for a long time, but what do you, what are the things that you're working on in a committee that could enhance that workforce development, that workforce future, the next generation of people that we can all work on together. It's not just for Duxbury, not just for the Berkshires, but um, I think we have to recognize that, you know, there's a lot of activity in the cities, but there could be great opportunities in the rural parts of Massachusetts as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I agree 100%. It, it, it's always, if you think of Massachusetts as a small state, but it's, it's really a big state. If you think about, you know, the, the, the wide drive from the Berkshires to Provincetown or up to, to Lawrence, it's, it's a big state. Um, and I think, you know, so in terms of what we're doing about this, I think, you know, we had at number one, we had a, a future of work commission uh, that we just wrapped up that looked a lot at, at some of these issues and had some folks from, from, um, 
from uh, Central and Western Mass that that were that uh, participated. In fact, we had one of our meetings out in, in Chicopee, which is a little bit closer to you. Um, but I think that you know, we, call, we call that Midwest. Midwest. Okay. I, I didn't want to. You know, I, I'll, I'll <laughs> let me just make I, I, I'll make a quick admission. I remember when I was first elected, uh, when I was about ten years ago, I met a colleague from the Worcester area. And I shouldn't even admit this because I'm gonna get in huge trouble. And I said, "Oh, what's it like out in Western Mass?" And she, you know, she was not pleased, and I'm sure you you would not be pleased <laughs> as well. <laughs> and so I quickly learned a little bit of a lesson in geography. Uh, in, in my defense, you know, I'm a South Shore guy. I kind of, you know, Worcester seemed like Western Mass to me. But uh, I've since learned because of Smitty how how you know the Berkshires and 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 what. Western Mass really is, so. um, but I digress. But I think you know, you know, one of the things yeah. we've done in the house here is really try to invest in in workforce line items. And and I know you know, you, with, obviously with your strong support, uh, we just are wrapping up the state budget for the current fiscal year. Really record amount of resources we've invested in some of our workforce training line items, things like youth works, things like uh, the workforce training competitive trust fund, uh, things like Commonwealth Corporation, which you know if you're a business in the Berkshires or wherever you are in the state and you're looking to try to retrain, uh, attract or retain workers, um, you know that's a resource for you. The mass hire uh, system, which we know there's a Berkshire based um, uh, mass hire workforce board. We have regional mass hire centers throughout the Commonwealth. They're really the go-to folks, whether you're an employee, an employer, maybe you're a job applicant looking for assistance. Uh, we have a regional workforce um, uh, group that's there to help. And so we've increased the funding for them uh, quite significantly. Um, really across the board, you know, the speaker and, this, uh, and, and, and Chairman Michael Witz and, and, and the rest of the team at uh, Ways and Means, I know you're part of that, um, have really put record investments in our workforce line items. And, and you know, that, that takes some time to pay off. You know, it's sort of an investment. It's a seed that you plant. But I think that will pay off uh, in, in the longer and then, you know, midterm and longer term in, in, in our people. And I think just to make the bigger point, Smitty, you know, I think here in Massachusetts, you know, we're not I like to say we're not blessed with like abundant natural resources or, you know, diamond, you know, and gold uh, mines and so forth. You know, we, we, our people are really our, our greatest natural asset is our skilled workforce. And I think um, that is something that, you know, it, it needs to be tended to. It needs to be, you know, you need to continually make investments in your workforce or it doesn't keep pace over time. And I think, um, you know, we have done that in a big way uh, the last few years through our, our budgeting. And, and we'll certainly continue to do that. My, my guest today is uh, Josh Cutler. He's a state representative from the 66th Plymouth District, a very dear friend of mine, and he's currently the chair of the Committee on Labor and Workforce Development. I want to shift gears a little bit, uh, Josh. You know, politics. Let's talk politics for a second. You know, Massachusetts is sometimes viewed from the outside world looking in as a very progressive community, a very progressive state. Um, but yet there's pockets of conservatism in what I'll call purple districts. You represent one of those purple districts, historically, a, a Democrat that elected in a, in a purple district. But, you know, people asked me just yesterday at an event I was at, do you guys have the discourse in Massachusetts as we see in Washington, D.C.? I said, not even close. We actually work very well together. And, you know, I, I represent a kind of a, a very liberal area. You represent somewhat of a moderate area, but how do those how do those dynamics come into play in your daily duties going up into the state house, and, and knowing the people that you represent? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think that's one of the nice things about um, you know state government, or at least what we have here in Massachusetts. Um, 
This is the collegiality that we see in the legislature uh, across the, the, the partisan spectrum. Um, and, and it's true, my, you know, my area in the South Shore. So I'm, I'm the, I think I'm the, I believe I'm the first Democrat ever elected from my, my rep district, at least that's what I was told. It's certainly a, a purple area and I have good colleagues, a Democrat and Republican uh, all around in, in our sort of region here in the South Shore. And uh, we work together very well. And honestly, you know, you, you forget about the partisan, you forget who's in which party and you're just working together because, you know, when it comes to most issues, you know, the, the Democratic Republican divide isn't really matter. Maybe it's more urban suburban or, you know, rural urban um, or, or coastal or, you know, whatever you find, you find, um, you know, colleagues and you find consensus uh, and you, you find those things wherever you can, you know, wherever you can work together with people. And I think that's one of the nice things. And I'll, you know, I'll give kudos to our governor who's departing. You know, I think he's been a good partner to work with, you know, even in times when I maybe didn't agree with him 100 percent of the time. But he's been a good partner to work with and respected the role of the legislature and, uh, you know, our part of the process. And uh, I think, um, you know, I think that's important. So we, we I think we have a lot of good things that we can be proud of here in Massachusetts. But the way we model our government is one of them as well. I think Washington certainly could, could stand to learn from. <laughs> that's for sure. I want, to, I want to shift gears a little bit. You know, you've written two books um, in the last few years, and you're a great historian uh, for your area and in Massachusetts, but what inspired you to become an author? <laughs> so, well, so the, the, the book, I, the, the two books I've written uh, uh, were both the local history and the first book that I wrote was called Mob Town Massacre. And it was about a gentleman named Alexander Hansen, uh, who was a, a newspaper publisher who was attacked by the mob during the War of 1812. And he, he took up arms to defend himself. And the reason that I took it on is uh, my, I represent the town of Hansen, which is a small town in the South Shore. It's about 10,000 folks, a very nice, quaint, uh, beautiful town. And uh, so, you know, if, if you, in, in my neck of the woods, a lot of the towns are named after either places in Mother England or maybe Native American tribes. Uh, and yet this town of Hanson was named after this newspaper publisher from, from Baltimore, Maryland. And I thought, well, geez, that seems strange. There must be a really good story there. And so, I, you know, I decided to kind of dig around and, 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 and tell it. And uh, it turns out it was. Uh, it was a pretty cool story about what this gentleman did, Alexander Hanson. And um, so I decided to write a book about it. And that was a uh, 2019, as I recall, um, and I had a lot of fun. You know, it was it was not something for profit; it was more just for for fun. Uh, but did was able to get it published, and um, and really enjoyed the whole process there. And so I did a, a follow up book um, uh, just this past uh, fall about another uh, newspaper publisher. Uh, this one was a little bit closer to home, uh, William Lloyd Garrison. And uh, what happened to him in 1835 in the early days of the abolitionist movement here in Boston? I know uh, Berkshire's in your area has a lot of connections there uh, with the abolitionist movement and, and, and some of the things that have happened historically. So um, the follow-up book was um, called The Boston Gentleman's Mob. And that takes place in 1835 in Boston. So uh, you have any other books in the future or are you going to write a book about your time in the legislature? <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm waiting to write the, the biography for Smitty Pignatelli. Um, <laughs> I haven't gotten the offer yet, but uh, okay. I don't, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, the second book was sort of my COVID projects, Smitty, you know, during COVID when, you know, in the early days when we were kind of all doing uh, Zooms. And if you're, you know, as you know, if you're a local politician and you're used to going out every single night to different events in the district and you no longer can do that. And now you're just sitting at home doing Zooms, you have a little bit more time on your hands. And so that turned in for me, turned into the, the book project. Um, that's no longer the case. <laughs> and we're obviously, 
you know, things are, are busy again. Um, so I, I, I don't know yet. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear ideas though. If people have uh, ideas. It has to be sort of a passion project for me because um, obviously you don't do this for pecuniary gain. It's, it's more just yeah. uh, for the pursuit of knowledge. And, and uh, uh, so I'm still looking around for the next project. Is there something in the Berkshires that I should know about that, you know, maybe some untold story that. Yeah, I, I have a few topics we could talk about for <laughs> Off, sure. Offline, we'll, maybe. We'll go offline on that one. <laughs> um, you know, you know, we're getting back to a, a greater sense of normalcy. I mean, we're, you know, the state house has been reopened in the last few months, and we're still have to have a hybrid option, which I think is important. But eventually, we're going to get back to the way we've we've been accustomed to it. But as you look back, Josh, and uh, on the last ten years. Any challenges or opportunities or maybe uh, surprises that you had when you first ran for office compared to 10 years later? And, and where do you see us going in the next few years? Well, gosh, I mean, 10 years ago, if you could envision where we are today, it would be, you know, you couldn't make up, <laughs> you couldn't make that stuff up uh, to think what would happen. But, you know, yeah, no, I mean, it's been it's been a great journey. Uh, I'm sure you would say the same thing. It's, you know, when you enter into public service and I, you know, like yourself, I was a uh, you had asked earlier how I got involved. I was on the you know select board and planning board before I got uh, to run for state office. I believe you were involved locally as well, and and that's you know local government is really where the rubber meets the road. And you know um, I'm really appreciative of everybody who serves in local government. Having been there myself, it's can be a, very enjoyable, but also you know challenging as at times as well. Um, but you know when you get involved in public service, you kind of never know really where that journey is going to go. And I've really enjoyed mine, um, serving 10 years in the house and, uh, hopefully you know, knock on wood, another, another two, I'll be on the ballot this fall. Um, you know, it's really just so rewarding. And especially I, I would say during COVID it's, you know, been challenging, but you know, our job's about helping people, you know, that, and, and you do it better than anybody. And, and I think during COVID, especially we've seen the importance of helping people, you know, truly people in need, um, you know, we, whether it's unemployment or healthcare, or you name it, being able to help somebody who's in a time of, of need is really the most rewarding thing about our job. And I think sometimes we maybe forget about that, but you know, it's, it, I think COVID really drove home how important that is and how important people come to rely on us. And um, you know, um, a good state representative, as, as I know you are, you know, you can really help people in your districts. And, and that's um, I think what is important at the end of the day. And you know, when, whenever I decide to leave, that will be the legacy. I hope that people will remember that I you know, help them when they, when they needed help. I, I tell people all the time, Josh, that our job is a, it's a temp job. It's, it's two years at a time. You know, we get our report card on election day, and <laughs> right. it's really pass or fail. Um, it, it's the, the test is on election day. But are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Oh boy, uh, I was told there would be. <laughs> I was told there'd be no rapid fire questions, but I guess I don't have a choice, right? No, these are easy. But um, you represent Hanson, uh, the town where Ocean Spray Cranberries started. Have you ever been cranberry bogging? I have. I have. Yes. And my first term, in fact, we, we, we had a cranberry uh, day down, uh, it was in Duxbury, uh, down in my district. Okay, I, I'd just be curious to digress for a second, but, you know, I think, they, I think I read something last week that 90% of the state is experiencing drought. How has that impacted the cranberry industry, which is very vibrant in Massachusetts? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I know, you know, traditionally, you know, the last, you know, period of time, our cranberry industry has been challenged by, you know, um, by supply and demand issues, um, you know, I think it's been a little bit uh, stronger. And I know we've done a lot of work um, creating new cranberry investment tax credit. Uh, I don't know how um, if that's been of an impact over in your neck of the woods, but in the southeastern mass here, it, it's been coming very important. And and just quickly, I, I, I just, just thought of uh, I, I remember one a dear friend I know who who we all miss. Uh, 
uh, Rep. Caridi, um, who um, was one of your colleagues from sort of uh, the Berkshire era. My, my very good memory of hosting uh, our Cranberry Day was having Gail come to my district and, and uh, flying. We had actually had a helicopter that took us on a tour of the bog. And I remember she and I were both a little bit nervous about, about helicopters. <laughs> I'm not a big heights guy. And so was she. And we both went up in it and, and had a great time and be able to see the bogs and, and um, just remember that what a kind person she was. Uh, I think Gail, Gail was a dear friend for 35 years. And um, I did the same cranberry bog tour when I was chair of the environment <laughs> committee and we went up in helicopters and like you, I like to have my feet on the ground, uh, but yeah. I did the helicopter tour it was quite an experience and interesting how, you know, we don't have cranberry bogs out here in Western Mass, but we are great consumers of cranberry yeah. juice and things like that. So well, thank you. Good we, pre- we appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, rapid fire. That wasn't very rapid fire. That last one. No, no, but we're going to get rapid fire. Okay. Who would you consider to be your role model? Uh, my dad. I would say my dad. Okay. All right. Pineapple oh, or pizza? Uh, and Smitty. And Smitty, of course. <laughs> Pineapple or pizza? Pineapple on pizza or, 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 or pizza. Oh, pizza. Or pizza. Pizza every day. Every day. Okay. What did you give your maiden speech on in the house? Council on Aging Formula Grants. Interesting. Okay. Other than your own, what is your favorite book? Uh, I'm a big fan of Ken Follett. Uh, so Pillars of the Earth is probably my favorite book, if you've and read. What, what, what is that about? Uh, it's a it's a it's a novel, but it it it's sort of historical fiction. It takes place during the uh, the, the early days of the um, uh, not the Renaissance, but you know really the Baroque period and Gothic architecture. But it, it tells sort of a sweeping story um, that that I think is really was really well done. But it also kind of makes you learn a little bit about about the early days of uh, the Gothic architecture movement. So I, I definitely recommend that, Pillars of the Earth. Okay, and, and the one question that I ask every one of my guests, uh, Josh, and um, it's probably the hardest question, and I'm not, I still don't know how, how I would answer this question, but if you could give one piece of advice to your younger self, what would it be? Oh, gee. <laughs> <laughs> uh... It's good to be the host. What's that? Yeah, it is good to be the one piece of advice. How, how much younger self are we talking? Whatever you want. Um, take the chance. Interesting. Very good. Um, this Can I great pass job. my test or is that, is that a no, pass fail? Well, this... there's, there's no right or wrong answer. But okay. it, that is a hard question. I, I hope folks who are listening would ask that question of themselves, because I still don't know how I would answer that. I, uh, how far back do you go? What do you want to really talk about? But um, it's, it's been great to have you on this, uh, this, this show, Josh. I appreciate your, your time very much. I just want to have you close with, you know, it's election time. I have great confidence. You've done a fantastic job. You're, you're always, the door is always open. You're willing to listen to colleagues and constituents who come into the state house or call you. I've seen you in action and I, I really admire you so much. But um, what do you see for the future. I mean, the country discourse that we've had and experienced, some Supreme Court decisions, uh, the economy, uh, the recession that we're kind of maybe experiencing a little bit as well. Uh, what do you see for the next generation or for the next few years and what opportunities are we going to have to work on these things together? Oh boy, that's a, that's, <laughs> that's a big question. <laughs> I thought we were kind of wrapping. No, um, I think, you know, I think Massachusetts, I mean, obviously we can, there's always things and issues and things we need to work on and improve, but I think Massachusetts does it right. 
you know, we are this beacon, you know, beacon of light. I, I like to think beacon hill. We work on beacon hill, but really should be a beacon to the nation about, you know, how government can work for the people and work together and get things done. And I think, you know, we were overly critical because we live here in Massachusetts. But if you step back and look at the way we do things, and you know, we're number one in so many areas. And I think, you know, the nation can really learn from us. And I think we have a, a good story to tell here. Uh, I'm proud to be a very small part of this, as you are, and all of our colleagues together and look forward to continuing that. And I think, you know, that's really what's incumbent upon us to, to show that the nation can govern and people can work together and we can solve problems. And, and that's why it motivates me. And I know it motivates you. And I'll just say, you know, the folks listening out there, you're really fortunate if you live in Smitty Pignatelli's district. Um, I'm sure given the audience and your Nielsen ratings that it's probably much broader audience. <laughs> But uh, you're really fortunate to be in Smith. He's such a kind and generous person and uh, so well respected amongst his colleagues in the House, uh, both sides of the aisle. And uh, so. Oh, stop. Stop while you're <laughs> no, it, Representative Josh Cutler, I appreciate you taking the time to join us. And um, I look forward to getting together with you next week when I come down to Duxbury. Um, Sounds good. You'll give me the Cook's tour of your wonderful district. And I'll uh, do. And I think you're coming out uh, to the Berkshires uh, um, uh, early September. September. So yes. uh, we look forward to getting together. But I appreciate you taking the time to join us. This has been terrific. And I, I hope that everybody who is listening, uh, just, you know, be safe, have fun. Let's take care of one another. Let's all be Berkshire. And uh, we're going through some tough times right now, but we're going to get out of them by working together. So thank you all very much. We'll be back next week with another great show. Until then, be well. Yeah.